hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Elizabeth Lowell Boland, who writes and records music as Lowell. She's also ventured into film, co-writing and scoring Bloodthirsty, a horror movie starring Lauren Beatty as a young musician who finds herself going through some unanticipated changes at a remote recording studio. The film spent most of last year on the festival circuit, earning Lowell two Canadian Screen Award nominations for Best Score and Best Original Song, and it's just been released on digital and on demand. Lowell picked The Host, Bong Joon-ho's magnificent 2006 monster movie about a soul family whose pleasantly dysfunctional lives are torn apart when an amphibious creature rises out of the Han River and starts eating people. Sure, everyone knows Bong as a genre-hopping genius now, with Song Kang-ho as the De Niro to his Scorsese, but at the time, this thing took the whole world by surprise, breathing life into stagnant kaiju cinema by telling the small-scale story of a handful of people doing their best to survive an impossible, chaotic event. It's a blast is what it is. This is someone else's movie. Well, I thought it was suitable to pick up a, a monster movie since I just wrote a monster movie. Um, sure. But also, obviously, uh, the director, Bong Joon-ho, has gotten a lot of um, press lately with um, with the Oscars and Parasite. But um, I did a bit of a deep dive and watched um, pretty much all of his movies this year in lockdown. So oh, wow. uh, this one was my favorite. I, I've only watched it once, I will just say. <laughs> um, so I'm not an expert on the film, but I really enjoyed it. So you just came to it fresh, like the you hadn't heard of it before or you were? Uh, no, actually, the executive producer on the film that I wrote, um, Bloodthirsty, is a big movie fan. And I had mentioned that I'd watched um, a couple of Bong Joon-ho movies and he recommended this one he was like oh well, if you haven't seen the host you need to see the host so i i watched it um about a month ago oh wow i there are some films where i know them so well that it's impossible to remember what it feels like to watch them for the first time and this is one of those that i just i saw it with an audience at tiff uh but it was a press screening so there were maybe 30 people in a small uh, VIP room at, at the varsity. So it wasn't quite the experience it could have been. And, you know, like I can only imagine what this would have been like with 300 people at the Scotiabank or something, just all getting walloped by how, not just how well made it is and how much fun it is, but just by how good it is. I mean, it really is. Um, when I, when it came out and when I reviewed it at the time, I described it as the Godzilla movie I always wanted to see, but never did. And yeah. since then there have been, like proper quote unquote Godzilla movies that deal with the stuff that I want them to deal with, which is the people on the ground and how it affects the world to see a monster running around. But there is that just that thing that Bong does that no other filmmaker does, which is just figure out what the weirdest thing is. And then to make it real, to, to make it actually play. It's just always so also so quirky and confusing as a, as a um, audience member, you just, you're always trying to get into his head. You're like, what? All of a sudden, it's funny, and then it, and then you jump, and it's scary, and you're like, what is this guy thinking? But it it really takes you on this huge ride, which is what I love about him. Yeah, his ability to to not introduce chaos, but to create a world that is chaotic and recognizably so, where you know, small acts of carelessness result in a giant monster running around the Han River uh, a couple of decades later because. 
you know, the American imperialists didn't really care and just dumped some formaldehyde down. And I don't know how that makes a monster, but it did. So everybody has to deal with it. They just, they have to factor in the absurdity. And the thing that Bong does that I love is that he, he really enjoys it when people fall down, especially authority figures. Um, but there's that incredible scene where, you know, in the midst of this giant space for, um, refugees, essentially, people who have been displaced by the monster attack, and, and they're all waiting to find out if they're if they're contagious or if they've contracted some sort of plague. The most important official comes along and just face plants, just goes over and gets right back up again. And I remember my room, my audience going, wait, and just trying to grasp onto it, but there isn't anything to grasp onto. And that's a theme that runs through all of his movies, um, maybe with the exception of Mother, where it's invested in one person in a way that none of the others is. I'm sure a lot of it is super political too, which is one of the things I love about it, that like subtle commentary on um, just like white supremacy in, in movies is interesting. Even, oh, yeah. I don't know if you saw Ocha, but um, he he has that one part where uh, one of the the characters yells like, Why don't, you, you should really learn Korean, which is obviously like people always tell Korean people you should really learn English, but I, I just love that line. Yeah, the the collision of political expectation, I guess, and uh, you know, the Park family believes that the system will take care of them and that everything will be fine, and they'll the the, the sort of disillusionment that um, everyone goes through. Uh, Song Kang Ho's character, um, Gangdu Park, just has every belief that he holds ruined by the government that he believes will protect him, and it isn't until they literally lobotomize him that he can start thinking for himself, which is just such a bizarre but completely understandable progression I, I guess that's what i mean about the chaos thing bong makes a world where all of these things make sense in the moment yeah totally oh i actually did an episode with uh john ronson the the co-writer of okja and um he was saying that his his uh that bong's ability to balance tones and and figure out what needs doing as things, as the script progresses is basically intuitive that he didn't talk about it. He just said, this is how I think it should go. And it always made sense, which again, is something that I'm just in awe of in creative people, because how do you know, like, how do you know something like this can work? You've written movies, you're a songwriter. You like, like, when do you know something is working? How do you know that other people will understand what you're doing? Well, that's the thing that I, I find kind of, cool about everything that he does is that like even with Okja it's like you don't know at at first you're like is this going to be a kids movie and then it's like it gets scary and funny like I said but um I do think it takes so much bravery to do that like even when when we were writing Bloodthirsty like we we were like (laughs) battling with this idea of making a monster movie that's also kind of a musical but not wanting it to be funny not wanting it to be like rocky horror picture show but for it to be like a the serious heartfelt um horror movie about music um that like i feel like as a creator we had to be really brave about that because we didn't really think that any we were pretty sure that no one was going to get that you know <laughs> we tried to do our best and stay true to what we were thinking so like I guess um, I don't think that I'm anywhere close to uh, the genius that Bong is, but like I can relate to that probably like uh, scariness that you might feel being like, I'm going to make this super bizarre, quirky 
monster movie like the host you know and like probably so many people being like well what is this is it scary is it funny and like trying to you know convince other people that it's okay to not be within this box you know yeah and it really does occupy a million different um spots on the genre spectrum it's it's uh both both the host and bloodthirsty actually just to clarify um bloodthirsty is a movie about creation and not sacrifice exactly right but it's it's about what you have to give up to do the thing you want to do you know in a very not literal exactly i'm trying to figure out exactly how to frame it without giving anything away for the listener uh we've all seen movies about mentorship right like we know what that's supposed to look like in the same way that we know what a monster movie is supposed to look like but the host just refuses to give you that and does its own thing bloodthirsty lays itself out in a way that is like in retrospect it's inevitable that the things that happen are the only things that could have ever happened in that storyline but getting there feels surprising and and weird and prickly which i really appreciate as somebody who's seen a lot of these movies that you know you're playing with the expectation the same way Bong is in his films. It's just about setting the audience up to expect something and not denying it exactly, but just refusing to steer into the skid, like just going in its own direction every time. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we had to make, uh, we've rewrote and rewrote that the ending a million different times. And obviously I'm not going to spoil it, but it, we tried our best to, to be like, well, what what is the audience going to want in this moment? What are they, what are they going to expect? What has happened a million times? And uh, how can we, not, not necessarily like rebelling against that because that in itself can be a little bit corny, but just like, how can we challenge it? Like, it doesn't necessarily mean like having a sad ending or like having the, the lead character die in the end. Like those things can in itself be predictable, but just like, how can we, just do something slightly different. How can we play with gender norms? How can we play with, yeah, expectation? Um, but yeah, I, I think that that is like probably why I've become such a fan of Bong is that he just, he always does that. Not, I know that I'm supposed to like stick on one movie, but. No, no, go ahead. Uh, memories of, of murder as well. Like that ending was so fascinating to me. <laughs> I had to like Google it afterwards because I was so um, confused and like not satisfied, I think, which um, it it just made me like think about the movie for so much longer as opposed to like those, you know, the triumphant ending that you get where you walk out of a movie just being like, oh, phew, (laughs) I I want it all along. Like I just like I turned the TV off and just sat in like darkness for all. I was like, that's it. (laughs) That's the end. (laughs) Why? Oh, that's it's so great though. It's so troubling and and unsettled that that you carry. Yeah, you do. You carry it with you long after the credits roll. Um, Albert Chin picked that for his episode. It was one of the last ones we did before lockdown. I think yeah, maybe the second or third last episode I recorded here in person. And um, I hadn't seen the film since maybe two thousand and six, and I revisited it, and it's just like, again, how do you know? How do you know that's going to work? How do you? how do you know that the audience won't revolt and set the theater on fire uh, from what you're denying them? But, but it had to end that way because like, didn't know who the killer was. It actually gets more uh, powerful now because they do like the, the, the case that the story was based on has been solved more or less yeah. uh, decisively. And um, Bong did a little thing about that on the, um, on the Blu-ray on the criterion special edition that just came out. And it's, 
incredibly powerful just because how do you, or, because he's reconciling himself to closure on a movie that doesn't have any. And again, the thing that stuns me about that movie was that it was made three years before Zodiac, which yeah. is effectively telling the same story about the futility of investigation and, and this like slow moving, unresolvable dread that comes from knowing you can't stop this thing. Um, the host, like the host was such a strange film for him to follow it with because it's so completely different. And now like we know he does that as a matter of course, that no two films are ever going to be the same. But I remember at the time just thinking this is nothing at all like what I was expecting from this filmmaker. And yet it's absolutely his movie. Mm-hmm. It always takes me about 30 or 40 minutes with his films to even just like, be like, Oh, okay. Okay. This is where we're going. Got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But I mean, that that is what's so fun about it. It's like, it's this little unpredictable surprise. Yeah. I mean, if someone had said that after I saw the host that this guy will win Oscars, like a pile of Oscars, the most Oscars any individual person has ever won uh, since Walt Disney in, you know, what, 15 years time, I would not have believed them. I would just have thought that, it would be some sort of cosmic joke the way his movies sort of play those things on us. And yet it's the most appropriate way for his career to progress, to make a movie about the moment every time. Um, Mother is about generational change and and the fear of not being able to care for your kids after you're gone and and just played out in the worst possible way. Or, or Okja, which is a, I guess a satire. It's also a horror movie in its own way. And, and, Gets to a, dark. <laughs> yeah, and it gets to a place that is, it's not just dark though, right? Like it's the fact that the CG creatures are acting in that one moment, the, the, the camp moment, which is the only way I can describe it. And it's just so, so shattering that by the time we get to that point in the film, we're treating them as real. And not only that, but we understand how their emotions work and how their feelings work and, and, and their place in the world and just how completely doomed and tragic it is. And he does it with, giant cartoonish pigs like he can do anything and then to go back to make something like parasite which is i guess as realistic a film as ever that he's made even though a lot of it was created digitally uh in the environments it's just i i i don't know what he's capable of i know he can do literally anything and i can't wait to see what he does next but i do fear that if he goes back to a genre like the host that he'll probably kill me that it'll be too much the fact that the film can can have um, a subplot, a completely convincing subplot told almost without dialogue about what's going on between Yun So and the monster and make that as emotional and powerful as it is and pay it off the way it does. Again, if, you, if you're listening and you haven't seen the host, you really need to see the host. But uh, I won't, oh, what the, we might as well spoil it. The fact that he is willing to go all that way for an ending that is downbeat at best, maybe bittersweet. Um, it's just stunning. People were comparing it to Jaws, but Jaws is a triumphant monster movie. It's a film where the, the heroes win, you know, like without question. And the host is this kind of weird, ambiguous cloud of victory at a cost. I mean, it's great to watch the Park family get together and do all the weird little things they do as a group to save Yunso or to at least find her. But yeah, they don't get what they want. And it's, it's again, it's, it seems by the time the film is over, like that's the only way it could have gone. And yet the whole movie is about heroism. So you expect them to win, but that's, this is not that kind of world. This isn't that kind of movie. Well, I mean, it's kind of this like 
a vigilante movie at times and and you know the whole family getting together trying to save the one girl but um all of the stuff that happens in the in the middle is so dark and complex like being lobotomized yeah. i like to give that away like and on top of it it's kind of a pandemic movie at the same time like living in a pandemic right now it's extra dark to watch but (laughs) thrilling at the same time and super relatable yeah that is one thing that i i never really resolved every time i see the film i can't tell if the pandemic is real i mean if if it's just something the authorities say in order to keep everybody quiet and calm or if there really is something because the original godzilla movie had the threat of radiation like godzilla was leaving radiation in his wake and and people were you know like the the japanese version of the original film really deals with the fact that a lot of people are still going to die even if they survive the monster attack just because they're going to get radiation sickness and and long-term bad things are coming the host it sort of teases it but it never really goes into detail which i also like because it's having watched yeah having watched the real pandemic response here where we spent you know eight months eight months we spent eight weeks washing our groceries because it might be surface transmission before we all realized it wasn't. I get that now. Like I get the feeling that scientists will just overcorrect in terms of caution. And then the people end up. Yeah. Literally breaking lockdown and going to do their own thing. Although in this case, they're the good guys. um, He left it ambiguous on purpose to confuse us. I mean, like logically I can understand why it would be like, it, it started with toxic waste. So it, I, I get why there would be a pandemic, but I, he definitely is hinting at the idea that it's more about government control and questionable whether that's actually the case. Yeah, I, I think part of and and part of his whole worldview too, or the, the specifically Korean satire of of the movies he makes, is that authority is not used to being challenged, and all of his films, in some way, are about pushbacks against the existing structure. Sometimes it's social, sometimes it's class, sometimes it's literally government uh, the way it is here and in Memories of Murder. And um, he just, he keeps hitting that that human frailty, right? Like that sense that people will do almost anything to preserve their status, even if it really means just yelling at people until they stop asking questions, which comes back a lot in the host, especially the way um, uh, the park's refused to take no for an answer over and over and over again. And and they sort of even worked themselves up to resist at one point, which is, again, it's so great to see a family dynamic preserved throughout this big, expansive disaster. It really is a big, expansive disaster movie. Yeah. What, how expensive was it? Like, I Oh, expensive? I, I don't know. I must... Because um, obviously me, like every other... Uh, half in movie buff like found out about Bong Joon-ho after Parasite so for me I'm like going back in time and not maybe realizing how big of a director he has been in in Korea for a really long time and in America I'm like I I was I meant to look up how much that movie cost but I'm just gonna look it up right now sure I don't Um, know how I'm not sure budget 11.8 million US which was like pretty that's not bad. bad. Yeah. I mean, because the effects are insane. So I, I definitely watching it. I was like, this must be a pretty big budget film. Yeah, I assumed it was. I mean, maybe um, I don't know enough about Korean cinema at the time to know if that was 
a big production. It must have been for him after Memories of Murder. He could have gotten whatever he wanted going. Mm-hmm. And clearly he did, because if you go to your producers and you say, oh, now I want to make a monster movie after this this incredibly tense, intimate, intellectualized serial killer study, let's do something completely different. Maybe they did say, okay, but you can only have $11 million. I mean, I just made a film for like under a mil, but... Uh, it was definitely not, it, it was a monster movie, but we had to use like um, animatronic effects and makeup to achieve scariness. Mm. We did not have the budget for post. But um, yeah, I mean, so one of the things that I found really interesting about this is uh, as somebody that was watching Stranger Things, obviously like everyone else did Mm -hmm. um how similar is that the monster to the stranger things monsters and like do you think that they drew from that i wouldn't be surprised actually i mean there's the there's like a fleshy consistency that goes through both films like both projects there's a a visual thing but but stranger things is so much of a magpie project anyway like it's constantly lifting inspiration from other things the first season is basically firestarter meets um uh, what was the other thing they were really clearly ripping off? Like, it's it's basically all just harvested from Stephen King things to the point where there's a scene in the first season where somebody is, a character is reading Cujo and it's like, Stephen King can't exist in this world. If, if Stephen King exists in this universe, somebody read Firestarter and they know what's going on. But I could see the Duffers kind of lifting things that they like here or there or the or effects team saying, well, what if we try this or what if we do that? And maybe, what's what's the term? What do they call them now? They're not lookbooks mood boards, the things that you bring in to show people the kind of movie you want to make. I wouldn't be surprised if the monster from the host is in there for season four. That big, was it four or three with the big squishy flesh thing? Just the most recent one, right? Like I've lost track of how many seasons there have been. Yeah. I think like, I just want to, because I I agree, Stranger Things is, it almost like lifts too much from everything. But um I always thought that like the monster itself was so unique. And then after watching this film, I was like, wait, they <laughs> totally ripped this. Or maybe I'm wrong, but I don't like with the, it's that like flower head thing that it, to me is just like very unique. Oh but, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was thinking about the, the, the amalgamation creature that's made from all the people in the last season, but you mean like the, the Demogorgon in the first one? Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it, but there is, yeah, there's like a a natural unnatural thing going on where they they've taken elements of of flora and fauna and distorted them in some really unpleasant way. I could kind of see that. And the yeah, the fact that the monster and the host, which never even has a name or, or uh, a designation, like it's I called it a giant mutant fish thing, which worked as well as anything. But it, yeah, that's what it is called. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I call it. I guess, but but. It has a personality, right? Like it has, it. it's not dumb. It's capable of taunting uh, Yunso and, and playing with her in a really creepy way, like a cat yeah, playing with like a mouse. Yeah, has a bit of a like perverted thing for him, for her as well. Oh, with the licking. Yeah, yeah. Her. like his, yeah. She's like his um, little doll that he keeps for longer. Yeah. Than the other ones. Like he definitely has personality and emotion. Yeah. Even though we never really, like we don't understand what it wants, but I don't know that it needs to want anything. 
Like it's a, it's a, a monster. Like it, it literally acts in ways that we can't understand. It's um, there's, there's this thing that runs through the new Godzilla movies about how we can't really know what Godzilla wants and we don't, it shouldn't even matter. We just need to get out of the way, which I, I kind of love. That's always been my personal belief. Yeah. I like, I like a monster movie that acknowledges that you can't necessarily understand what's going on sometimes that we have expectations, but you can't reason with something that isn't you like, isn't, isn't a mammal even isn't human. You can, you can kind of talk down an angry dog sometimes if you're lucky, but a monster is just going to crush you or run, run you over or, or cause a, a stampede that gets people hurt anyway. And yeah, I, 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 there's something really kind of almost Spielbergian about Yunso trying to outwit it because it all has to be played through her face. Like we have to see uh, Asanko is showing us not only what her character is thinking, but she has to react to this CG creation. So she's doing all of this acting on the spot and it's, an incredibly complex performance for a kid. It's um, it's really powerful. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Uh, that's so funny because I feel the opposite. I, like for me, I'm like, I'm like, what is the monster want? Like, he, <laughs> I I feel for for him or I guess her. We don't really know that the monster is male or female. Mm. Um, for it, uh, but it does seem to have like some types of uh human characteristics to me, like the way that he um like has his little den and he saves all his victims there and like i do i feel like he like lets her live for some reason he must have some reason to do that i feel like he like likes her you know mm. i don't know that's probably just me <laughs> being like everyone does bad things for a reason um hence why i made a monster movie like <laughs> leading towards the monster being more human than monster because to me that's fascinating like I feel like us as humans, we do horrible things. For example, you know, eat meat into cattle. We're monsters, but, you know, we're just trying to eat and feed our family or whatever. It's like, it's not, um, it's not meant to be psychopathic behavior. Uh, although it is, um, we always try to justify all of the horrible things that we do. So in my, I, maybe I'm naive, but I like to think that that monster had like a reason, you know, like he was doing all this stuff. He was just like trying to feed his family or something. Oh God, a monster family. Now that would be, yeah, I would watch that movie too. Like the host from the monster's perspective reversed it. And <laughs> this poor thing, this poor fish thing that didn't ask to be born, just running away from the parks for an entire movie as they pester him and keep trying to destroy him. It. Totally. He like is born in the water and he's like drowning, trying to get out. Where am I? Yeah. Oh man. There's an internal monologue movie there that could be really interesting. Like kind of, I guess under the skin sort of touched on that, but to really inhabit an alien creature's perspective, something that doesn't look like a person and force us to follow along. I bet Bunk could do that if he wanted to. I think I'm kind of glad that he doesn't. Cause again, it would probably kill me. <laughs> he probably will. That's probably his next movie. <laughs> like the host from the monster's perspective. I should reach out to John Ronson and see if we can suggest this. Maybe we can will it into existence. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to do that. Usually I end the podcast by asking the guest what, if anything, of the film being discussed has been incorporated into their work if they've ever referenced it. But since you just saw it and you'd already made your movie, I guess that we, we flip it in the other direction. Is there a version of the host that could work its way into your like, future uh, filmography? Is this something that you even want to attempt? 
Hmm. I think that uh, I find it inspiring that we've talked a ton about Bong Joon-ho and I love that he flips what you think he's going to do on its head. So I can't imagine myself ever making a monster movie again because I already did it. Um, but so maybe I would grab from that it being like the complete opposite of the last movie that he made. Maybe the next movie that I make will be the complete opposite of what um, I've made with Bloodthirsty. Oh, what would that even look like? Would you would you want to stay? Do you, would you want to keep working in the same genre or do something completely different? Um, I don't know. Maybe it's like a silent movie, uh, comedy. <laughs> there, you know, making it. <laughs> I, you know what? I kind of want to see that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Chaplin. Uh, memories of Charlie Chaplin uh, with no talking comedy could there be like a little monster in the background just running around uh it's a fairy <laughs> that just flits <laughs> into his uh nostrils at inopportune moments yeah i could see that okay i'm in <laughs> my thanks to lowell whose new film bloodthirsty just played the inside out festival and is now available on digital vod platforms across north america thanks also to ingrid hamilton she knows what she did Lowell's not on Twitter, but you can find her on Instagram at Lowell with six underscores. Just search her name, it comes up. And you can find the host on Blu-ray and DVD from Magnolia Home Entertainment. It's also available to stream on Hoopla in the U.S. and Canada, and on Hulu in the U.S. as well. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days, and writing the weekly Now Streaming newsletter, to which you can subscribe at NowToronto.substack.com. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay home. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get vaccinated as soon as you can. And keep an eye out for something special coming this Friday. You'll like it. I'll see you then. <laughs>